book of Hebrews. And I told some of them before the service started with this few here on a Sunday night, I ought to be able to preach directly to somebody. Amen. I'm reminded of, it said there was a deacon one time, the preachers, he was into all kinds of things and the preacher had it laid up for him. He'd preach and every service the deacon had as he's going out, he'd say, boy, you laid it on them today, preacher. You laid it on them today, preacher. You laid it on them today, preacher. Well, one Sunday it snowed. The deacon lived right at the, right at the door of the church, and it snowed, and it was nobody but the preacher and the deacon. So he thought, boy, I'll get him today. And so he preached all over everything he knew he'd been into. And when it was over, he walked out. The deacon walked out and said, boy, if they'd have been here, you'd have got them today, preacher. All right, Hebrews chapter number two, Hebrews chapter two, we have as the Lord has led, been looking at some great things, places in the Bible where the word great is used, and uh, We've, we've saw several of these, some great rewards. I believe that's the last one we preached on, great church. Thank God I'm glad that there's a great church, there's some great promises, great rewards. This, uh, this evening I'm interested in our great salvation. Well, the Bible said, Hebrews 2 verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard them, that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according unto his own will. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, that you touch and help, Lord, the service tonight. Lord, uh, I'm so thankful for these that have been faithful to be here tonight. And I pray, God, that we could uh, help them or they'd feel like they, uh, they leave better than they came. I pray, God, that you'd just add to their lives tonight. We'll thank you for all it's accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I want to look tonight at this term that uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews, I believe the Apostle Paul, uses here when he says great salvation. And uh, I just got to thinking about it this afternoon. It is great to be saved, amen. It's great to be saved. Now, this is the first. If you study the book of Hebrews, I'll just give you a little... Uh, history here of the book of Hebrews real quickly. If you say the book of Hebrews, you'll find there's five warnings in the book of Hebrews. This is the first of the five warnings. And really, if you say the book of Hebrews, it revolves around these warnings. And this first warning is about neglecting to be saved. And it deals with the judgment of God upon those that are neglectful concerning salvation. But God don't call it just a salvation. He calls it a great, a great 
salvation. Now, the book of Hebrews, really, if you look at it and study it, they spend eight chapters in Hebrews just trying to show you the greatness of Christ. Matter of fact, what the book of Hebrews tells us is that everything that God has to say in our age is summed up in his son. Uh, God has nothing else to say that he doesn't say through his son. God's son is the last word to a lost world. God's not going to say anything else. He's not going to reveal anything else. Everything that he's going to reveal has been revealed in his son. And so the book of Hebrews starts off with that thought. He says, God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spoke and ages past by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And so the book of Hebrews goes on to show us that everything that, uh, that has anything to do with God is spoken by his son. Let me give you just a few things. We're urged here not to let these great truths slip. Uh, note with me that he said that lest we should let them slip. And so we're urged that these truths of great salvation, we've got to be careful lest they should slip by. And can I say that? He's not talking about being saved and letting it slip away. What he's talking about is being lost and let such a great salvation slip us by, neglecting the most important thing. Can I say to you tonight, I believe across this uh, this world and churches across all the globe, there are people that are sitting there and they're neglecting the main thing. They've let the great salvation of our Lord slipped by. They've neglected to ever be saved. Isn't that a shame? And I believe that's true across our country. And so there is this so great a salvation. Let me say this. Salvation number, let me just give you a few things right here and then I'll get to where I'm preaching. Salvation is great because it's the one thing that Christ came to accomplish. The Bible says in Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Lord healed the sick, but that's not why he came. The Lord uh, allowed the blind to see, caused the deaf to, uh, the deaf to hear, and the dumb to talk, but that's not why he came. The Lord inspired a great work in a great many ways, but it's not why he's here. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what makes your salvation great. It's because when God sent his son, his son came with one purpose. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Why? Why did he give his son? That we wouldn't have to perish. Everyone believe in them should be saved. That's why, that's why God sent his son. And so it is that each and every one of us are a product of his finished work of salvation. And that's the only reason he came. So it's great because of that. It's a great salvation because it calls a whole wide world unto the Lord. You know, salvation is great because it's available to all. I'm glad the same salvation that saved me in Pensacola, North Carolina, can save someone in the Middle East, can save somebody in Russia, amen, save somebody in Africa. I was looking this, uh, this, uh, this evening at our wall of missionaries back there, and we've been praying about maybe doing another missions uh, trip, uh, me and the family doing another missions trip this summer, and just trying to pray about what God had for us to do. I actually got an invite from a missionary yesterday uh, to come help him, needs our help a little bit. It's not too far away. It's in uh, uh, Oklahoma. Uh, but wanting us to come out there and help him a little bit, but I've been praying about it. I tell you what, I, I tell you what I love about missions. Uh, somewhere on the other side of the earth, there could be a little uh, Filipino or a little Chinese man, 
and uh, somebody's preaching to them in their language and the same grace of God that was real to me in Pensacola, North Carolina is real on the other side of the world. I'm glad he don't care where people's from or what they've been into. Uh, every man, every man, as a matter of fact, if you look, see what the Bible said, First Timothy chapter number two, verse number four says, all men, all, that he wants all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, one mediator between man and God, that man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom, not for a few, but a ransom for all. Now, across the Baptist movement, there are some intellectual preachers who have gotten too smart for their own good. They hold the doctrines of Calvin, and they believe in a limited atonement. In other words, God only died for a few. But I've got news for you. The Bible said right there in 1 Timothy 2, 6, who gave himself a ransom for how many? All, all. A-L-L, to be testified in due time. I'm glad, thank God, that Jesus' blood is applicable for all. God doesn't do picking favorites, picking and choosing who he will save and who he won't save. The, the atonement is not limited. He tasted death for every man. I, he loved the entire world, and I'm thankful. That. So I'm thankful. It's a great salvation because it's available to everybody. But then let me say this. It's a great salvation because it's the one and only way to be saved. And the Bible said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's the only option. That makes it a great salvation. There's no other way to do it. It's the only way. I wrote this down. I liked it. Someone said Longfellow. I like Longfellow. He's a poet. There's a movie that you can watch about the life of Longfellow. It's very interesting called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And uh, it'd be a good, it'd be, it's a Christian movie. It'd be a good movie for you to watch this time of year. Uh, so go home, watch it. It'd be good. It's available on streaming. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And it's about a poet by the name of Longfellow. Anyway, somebody said Longfellow could take a worthless sheet of paper, write a poem on it, and make it worth thousands of dollars. That is called genius. Rockefeller could sign his name on a piece of paper and make it worth a million dollars. That is called capital. Uncle Sam can take paper and print on it and make it worth from one to a hundred thousand. That's called money. A mechanic can take a material worth five dollars and make it worth fifty. That's called skill. An artist can take a canvas worth a dollar, paint a picture on it, and make it worth thousands of dollars. That's called art. But God can take a worthless sinner, wash him in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, put his Holy Spirit in him and make him a blessing to all humanity. That's called salvation. Amen. I tell you, I, only God can take somebody as worthless as I am and make anything out of them. And it's true for you too. Where would we be without salvation? Were we not born again? Were we not washed in the blood? So I would say it's a great salvation. Let me give you just a few things right here. Number one, it's a great salvation because it shows us a great person. I already told you there in Hebrews 1, verses, uh, verse number 1, verse number 2, verse number 2, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And so salvation is great because it's all about Jesus. Uh, as the old hymn goes, nothing in my hand I bring, simply the cross I claim. That Sunday morning that I got saved, I had nothing to offer God. I had no money. I had no reputation. I had no talents. I had nothing to offer God. 
but that's good. That's the reason it's easier. Listen, that's the reason it's easier for a young person to get saved than it is an old person. An old person wants to do something. An old person wants to bargain. An old person wants to have some sort of a transaction. They want to do a, a work of some sort. But my friend, the instant that you add works to salvation, it's no longer works. The only way a man can get saved is to come with nothing, offering nothing, and come to God and say, I've got nothing to give you. I've got nothing to bargain with. I've got nothing I can offer you, but you've got everything to offer me. Amen. And so it shows us a great person. As a matter of fact, the entirety of the book of Hebrews is about how great Jesus is. Boy, I'm glad he is great. If you study the book of Hebrews, you'll find that Jesus is greater than the prophets in chapter 1. You'll find that Jesus is greater than the angels. Uh, they make the argument for that there in verses 4 through 14. Jesus is greater than Moses in chapter 3. Uh, Jesus is greater than Joshua. Jesus is greater than Aaron. All throughout the book of Hebrews, uh, again and again, the writer emphasizes uh, that how much greater Christ is than all of the Old Testament patriarchs. Indeed, we find him on every page. I was hoping that Brother Neil would be here tonight because he's talking to me about finding him in Zechariah. How he's finding him on every verse. Let me give you just a few things. I wrote this down. Just take just a minute. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the fulfillment of the law. In Numbers, He's the uplifted serpent. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord's host. In Judges, he's the true and righteous judge. In Ruth, he's the kingman, kingsman redeemer uh, uh, and the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's the prophet, priest, and king. Uh, in First and Second Kings, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, in the Chronicles, he's the great historian. In Ezra, he's the reformer. In Nehemiah, he's the restorer. Uh, in Esther, he's the advocate. In Job, he's the redeemer. Uh, in Psalms, he's the high shepherd, the Lord in strength. In Proverbs, he's the only source of wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's the only worthwhile gold for building life. In Song of Solomon, he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. In Isaiah, he's a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he's the consolation. In Ezekiel, he's the wheel within the wheel. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in in the fire. In Hosea, he's the truth and faithful husband. In Joel, he's the faithful of the day of the Lord. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the salvation and victory of Jacob. In Jonah, he's the message of God to the people of Nineveh. In Micah, he's the incomprehensible God. In Nahum, he's the comforter. In Habakkuk, he's the holy temple. In Zephaniah, he's the good of goodness of God. In Malachi, he's the messenger of the covenant of the son of righteousness. In Matthew, you. He's the miracle of God. Mark, the suffering servant. Luke, the son of man. John, the son of God. Acts, the risen Christ. Romans, he's the robe of righteousness. First and second Corinthians, he's the all-sufficient grace. Galatians, he's the gospel that men can preach. In Ephesians, he's the whole armor of God. In Philippians, he's the humble and exalted servant. In Colossians, he's the head of the church. First and second Thessalonians, he's the returning Christ. In first and 
2 Timothy, he's the only potentate. In Titus, he's the only hope. In Philemon, he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the high priest forevermore after the order of Melchizedek. In James, he's the object and faith of our, of our works. In First and Second Peter, he's the suffering Savior. First, Second, Third John, he is love. Jude, he's the all-wise God. And in Revelation, he's Alpha and Omega. I'm telling you, every book in the Bible is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all, it's all about him. And so our salvation is great tonight because it shows us a great person. My salvation's not about me, it's about him. Can I say that to you again tonight? My salvation's not about me, it's about him. And I'm glad to have such a great salvation. Salvation is great because it shows us a great person. Let me give you these. Salvation is great because it solves a great problem. You know, in the whole world, the problem with everything is sin. That's the problem with everything. You name it. If there's a problem, sin is to blame. We never sing this song. I don't even know how the chorus goes. I don't even know how the words go. I've never heard it sung. But it's a song that's in your songbook. I read it occasionally. I wish somebody would, maybe I should look it up. I could probably Google it. But it says, see yonder man in the prison he dwells. Sin is to blame, sin is to blame. List to the story he plainly tells. Sin is to blame, sin is to blame. Many dear children are crying for bread. Sin is to blame, sin is to blame. Father's a drunkard and mother is dead. Sin is to blame, sin is to blame. Heartbroken mothers all alone. Sin is to blame, sin is to blame. Helpless and needy, no place to call home. Sin is to blame, sin is to blame. Thousands refuse to accept his free grace. Sin is to blame, sin is to blame. All who reject him have chosen their place. Sin is to blame, sin is to blame. Don't you know tonight that every problem of mankind is sin? I tell you, they make light of it. They try to make out like there's no big deal about sin. And I'm going to tell you, those of you that have ever lived in it, you know what I'm telling you is the truth tonight. Sin brings nothing but heartache, disaster. Some of y'all from broken homes. You understand what I'm preaching about tonight? Addiction and troubles and heartaches and trials that come. Abuse that comes out of sin. Hey, I'm telling you, there was a big problem. Sin's dragging men off into hell, but aren't you glad that salvation solves the problem? Amen. So it's a great salvation because it solves a great problem. It settled our our debt that was due our sins. It freed us from the dominion of Satan on earth and the doom of Satan in hell. I'd say it was a great problem, but it's a great solution. And that makes salvation great. Salvation is great because it saves at a great price. I'm going to give you a statement right here. And if, if it's no, for no other reason, it's worth driving up here to hear what I'm about to say right here. Because when God gave it to me, I was like, whoo. When God made man, he gave him his breath. But when God redeemed man, he gave him his blood. I mean, you talk about a great salvation. 
You say, boy, it's great to be alive. Well, making you all it took was God's breath. Saving you, it took his blood. So I'd say our, our salvation is great because it saves at a great price. The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians that Jesus emptied himself and became obedient unto death. He poured himself out. The Bible tells us there in, uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians that uh, he who was rich became poor for us that we through his poverty might be rich. I'm telling you, your salvation, while it was free to you, it cost God everything. So your salvation is great because it saves the great prize. Let me say this. Your salvation is great because it secures a great privilege. Hebrews 2 and 11 says, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Our salvation secured a great privilege. It secured his counsel. It secured his consolation. It secured his companionship. It secured his control. It secured his care. I'd say salvation is great. Hey, I'd say salvation is great tonight. It secured a great privilege. Today I got saved. I'm just going to give you these. I, I, could, preach, I could preach this in an eight-part series. So here you go. Salvation is great because it's sealed with a great proclamation. Sealed with a great proclamation. The Bible says there in Hebrews 2, 3, and 4, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. Did you see what he said right there? Look what he said. Your salvation. Look at it. Both he that sanctified they are sanctified are all of one. For which called... No, Take me back to, get me there in uh, Hebrews 2 and 3. Hebrews 2 and 3. Look at it. Which at first, talking about a great salvation, watch this. Which at first began to be spoken of by the Lord, that's your salvation, and was confirmed unto, them, unto, the, unto us by them that heard him. So we have the confirmation of the word of God. Then look at verse number 5. And it says there, from the angels, hath he not, no, that can't be right. <laughs> Go back to verse four. Go back to verse, there we go. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. So you see what happened? This is your salvation. I'm sorry, babe, I messed that up by saying go to verse five. I meant to go to verse four. God also bearing them witness. So what is he talking about? He's talking about your salvation. God has borne your great salvation witness. How? By signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. I'd say that he has confirmed it with a great proclamation. I am S-A-V-E-D. Hallelujah. It's great. Then there's a sense of a great responsibility. Look back in Hebrews, look back verse number three. Right here's really why I want to get to preach. I'm share this right here with you and I'm done. Look what I said. How shall we escape if we neglect? Look what I said. If we neglect, so great salvation. You know, the, you know what the church has done for the last 2,000 years? It has literally spread the gospel around the world. But you know what people in the Bible Belt do? They take it for granted. And they neglect so great salvation. They, they do. It's not so much that they re reject 
as much as, as, much as it is they neglect. I want you to think about them. I want you to think the diff- about the difference. Now, you go away from here. You get out in California, you get up north. There's outright rejection of it. There's an outright rejection of the Word of God. They don't anything to do with it. But down here in the Bible Belt, just about everybody you talk to, what is it? They've been to church, Mamaw's church, whatever. I remember one time Frank Phillips telling me that they was going out visiting on Saturday and said they knocked on three doors in a row. And then people said, we go to Unity Baptist Church. He said, really? Unity? Yeah. Who's the pastor down there? Frank Phillips. Seen it on the sign. Had no idea they was talking to it. Of course, you know how Frank was. He said, I've heard that fellow's a scoundrel. I wouldn't go down there. <laughs> Never had laid eyes on him before. So in, in, here in the South and in the Bible Belt, it's not as much reject as it is neglect. It's true. People just neglect to ever do anything about it. They think because they believe in some historical Jesus or because they had an emotional experience or because they heard, you know, uh, Jesus take the wheel and cried a few tears while they was going down the road one day. That's all they need. Mama was saved. They got to be all right. And really what it is is it's a neglect. It's neglected. Here's the question. So there's a sense of a great responsibility. Vance Havner said this. In youth, they say they're too young. In manhood, too busy. In maturity, too worried. Old age, and when age, too old. When sick, too ill. And when dead, too late. But it speaks of a great penalty. Look what he says here. How shall we escape? So here's what the writer of the book of Hebrews said. Back up to verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels is steadfast. Now what he's talking about there? He's talking about the law. That's something people don't understand. The, law, the angels had a part in writing the law of Sinai. The, the angels were coming to and fro on Mount Sinai during the writing of the law. That's what he's talking about right here. I can show that to you in the Psalms. This right here is what he's talking about. For if the word spoken by angels, that is the law, was steadfast, and it is, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, and it did. Matter of fact, this will shock you. People say, people say that we're strict. Did you know there was a man that was gathering sticks in the book of Exodus on, on the Sabbath day, and when they called him, brought him Moses, Moses asked God what to do with him. God said, kill him. And they gave that man corporate punishment, killed him. Because <laughs> he's gathering sticks. Yeah, broke the law. So aren't you thankful you live under grace? But here's the, here's the argument. If that word of the law was steadfast, then how much more the word that's been spoken unto us by Christ? And so this salvation, if we neglect it, verse 3, he said, how, how in the world would we escape that? How much better is the word spoken to us by Christ than the word spoken by the angels? And if we neglect so great a salvation as that, how in the world would we ever escape? That's the argument. And the answer, of course, is there's no escape to it. You cannot escape. Every man, woman, boy, and girl is without excuse. It's without excuse. Because God 
has offered so great a salvation. Now, I've missed this to you before, and I'm going to miss it again. I'm done right here. Look, close my Bible. I'm done. I've missed this to you before, and I'm going to miss it to you one more time. You ought to go home tonight and say, thank God I was born in the Bible Belt. So how many times did you hear the scripture before you ever got saved? You neglected it and 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 neglected it. But then one day, the light came on, you got saved. You could have been born in one of these Midwestern towns where they're not a church within 100 miles of you. The only gospel witness you ever got was over a TV or over the internet or on just a happenstance, or worse yet, you could have been born in one of these Muslims countries where it's absolutely illegal for anybody to preach the gospel to you. You could have grown up in the jungles of Africa, not known anything much about the gospel. Maybe that's only got one little chance. And then if that one chance you neglected it, guess what? No escape. No escape. You see how, you see how blessed and privileged you are to have been exposed to it and exposed to it and exposed to it and exposed to it and exposed to it. I say thank God for such a great salvation. Stand our feet. Father, thank you, Lord, for helping us to preach tonight. Part as much as I know how, I'm just trying to mind you, preach the word of God. Lord, we're so thankful for such great salvation. We pray that we would never, ever neglect to thank you for it. We didn't neglect to get it. I pray that we wouldn't be neglectful in the area of thanking you for it. Help us, God, to always be so thankful. Do that in our midst as only you can. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.